With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everything is a mental game. So stay attentive. We're talking about the drug cartel. But from a whole new perspective. Break it down with some intelligence. Psychology and criminology. This is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, this is narcology. A look inside the culture. The ideas and the minds of the laws. Stay alert. Gotta be cautious. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking our first podcast on narcology. We're going to be talking about the origins of the drug cartels and how it started in Mexico. Before we get started, if you want to support our podcast, please share it. You can also find us on Twitter at the Narcology Show at Narcology Show on Twitter. You can follow us uh, there as we keep up to date on what's happening down in the narco world. And make sure to subscribe as well. You don't want to miss any upcoming episodes. As we continue to go through the journey of drug cartels, we'll educate you on what's happening in the past. We'll give you insight on what's happening in the future and what's happening currently. So where did this history begin? Well, believe it or not, it began a little bit with China. That's right. China shifted to a hybrid capitalist system and globalized in the late 20th century. So did its criminal economy. Indeed, an overlooked but important trend has been in the rise in Chinese organized crime in Latin America. Their presence, though, is not entirely new in the region. Chinese organized crime is also a natural byproduct of the increased legitimate human and commercial interactions between the two regions. Narcotics and commodity smuggling, human trafficking, racketeering, and extortion and other illicit activities are all facilitated by this increased trade. So let's see what happens a little bit. Let's look at a little bit of the history of Mexico and China. Mexico's history with China goes back much farther than most would expect. The northern city of Mexicali in Baja, California, was largely developed by a community of Chinese immigrants who arrived to the area between the mid-1800s and the 1940s. Some arrived as servants to Spanish merchants, but most began arriving from Canton in the late 19th century to flee poverty. In the end, most stayed and helped build not just Baja, but also the northern states of Chihuahua, Coahuila, Sinaloa, and Sonora. The connection between the words narcotics and Mexico may have permanently coalesced when President Felipe Calderon declared the war on drugs. But the historical destinations of Chinese immigrants are now major opium-producing states. The history of Mexican heroin began with the Chinese railroad workers in Sinaloa in the late 19th century. A business boom in the 40s, reputedly thanks to the demands for morphine by the U.S. Army during World War II. A lot of the soldiers in the U.S. were coming back with severe injuries and a lot of pain. And morphine at the time was made illegal. You can only get it prescribed, and sometimes they didn't have enough. So what they had to do was get it from Mexico. And this is similar to today's new boom, driven by dependence on expensive opiate medications compared to easier to obtain heroin. You got to remember, heroin is a derivative of morphine, and it was later it was actually made legal for for a decade or so in the U.S. So they realized it was too addictive. But back to our story. As we mentioned, 
Mexico was a source of marijuana and heroin trafficked to the U.S., and by the 1940s, Mexican drug smugglers were notorious in the U.S. already. The growth and entrenchment of Mexico's drug trafficking networks occurred during a period of one-party rule in Mexico by the pre-institutional revolutionary party, which governed for 71 years. During that period, the government was centralized and hierarchical, and to a larger degree, it tolerated and protected some drug production and trafficking in certain regions of the country, even though the pre-government did not generally tolerate crime. Mexico is a longtime recipient of U.S. counter-drug assistance, but cooperation was limited between the 80s and 2000s due to U.S. distrust of Mexican officials and Mexican sensitivity about U.S. involvement in the country's internal affairs. Obviously, there's a bad history there. Numerous accounts maintain that for many years the Mexican government pursued an overall policy of accommodation. Under the system, arrests and eradication of drug crops took place, but due to the effects of widespread corruption in the system, it was characterized by a working relationship between Mexican authorities and drug lords through the 1990s. Bottom line, they were all working together, and the Mexican police force and military were corrupt at the time. The system stability began to fray in the 90s as Mexican political power decentralized, and the push toward democratic pluralism began, first at the local level and then nationally with the election of pan-candidate Vincente Fox as president in 2000. The process of democratization upended the equilibrium that had developed between state actors, such as the Federal Security Directorate, which oversaw domestic security from 1947 to 1985, and organized crime. No longer were certain officials able to ensure the impunity of drug traffickers to the same degree and to regulate competition among Mexican drug trafficking organizations for drug trafficking routes or what they call plazas. To a large extent, DTOs or drug trafficking organizations, violence directed at the government appears to be an attempt to reestablish impunity. While the inner cartel violence seems to be an attempt to reestablish dominance over specific drug trafficking plazas. The intra-DTO violence or violence inside the organizations reflects a reaction to suspected betrayals in the competition to succeed killed or arrested leaders. So you can see here the history, if you look back, goes all the way almost 80 years ago with the Chinese. The Chinese helped a lot of individuals in Sinaloa create opium and manufacture it. Eventually, uh, the people from Sinaloa kicked out the Chinese once they figured it out and had it, control, had it under control. They started kicking them out of there and eliminating the middleman, you can say. But if we go back to the 1990s, before this political development, an important transition of Mexico's role in the international drug trade took place during the 80s and 90s. Of course, this was also the height of uh, crack cocaine in the late 80s. As Colombian DTOs were forcibly broken up, Mexican traffickers gradually took over the highly profitable trafficking cocaine to the U.S. Intense U.S. government enforcement efforts led to the shutdown of the traditional trafficking routes used by the Colombians through the Caribbean. As Colombians' DTOs lost this route, they increasingly subcontracted the trafficking of cocaine produced in the Andean region to the Mexican DTOs, which they paid in cocaine rather than cash. These already strong Mexican organizations gradually took over the cocaine trafficking business, evolving from being mere couriers for the Colombians to being the wholesalers they are today. Another thing you also have to remember, Mexico also took over the meth operations. That's right. The outlaw motorcycle gangs were controlling the meth operations from the 70s and the 80s until the U.S. government cracked down and started eliminating the meth labs. At that point, Mexico took over the production of meth in their own labs. As Mexico DTOs rose to dominate the U.S. drug markets in the 90s, the business became even more lucrative. 
This shift raised the stakes, which encouraged the use of violence in Mexico to protect and promote market share. The violent struggle among the drug trafficking organizations over strategic routes, warehouses, and ports where drugs are consolidated before entering the U.S. reflects these higher stakes. Today, the major Mexican DTOs are polydrug, handling more than one type of drug, although they may specialize in the production or trafficking of specific products. According to the U.S. State Department's 2019 International Narcotics Control Strategy Report, Mexico is a significant source and transit country for heroin, marijuana, synthetic drugs such as methamphetamine, and to a lesser degree, fentanyl, destined for the USA. So this is kind of a brief overview of the history of narcos, and we're going to be looking in this podcast at all different aspects of the narco culture. We're going to be looking at the latest news in regards to the world of uh, drug cartels so you definitely want to keep in tune because you're going to learn about how they developed the origins of some of these drug cartels such as the Sinaloa cartel the new generation Jalisco cartel you're going to learn where they're at today because it's a very fluid situation constantly struggling for power again make sure you subscribe and thanks for listening Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess Aha, in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.